and that's why I turned it off. I thought, I'm not, no way. All right, let's get into the Word of God. I'm far more comfortable at this part than I am in the singing, but I can tell you that. Um, 1 Kings chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, if you have your Bibles. What I want to look at this evening is a mental health moment with Elijah. And again, this passage will probably be well known to you. It's often a go-to passage. But what I want to focus on tonight is, is the mental health of Elijah. Uh, for me, mental health is a very important uh, uh, thing to talk about, especially in church. Especially in church. Because a lot of the times it can be a little bit taboo. And the, the, the matter of the fact is we all suffer from mental health in one way or another. You know, um, mental health is about the state of your thinking. And sometimes your thinking can be a little off. You know, you ever have one of those days where you're just, you're just feeling, you know, why you're feeling the way you're feeling. You know, you're grumpy and, 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 and things aren't going well. You know, your thinking's not quite right. There's something affecting it. So I don't want to get into the debate about mental health within the Christian circles because it, it is a bit of a taboo. And as my ministry continues on, I hope to um, just talk a little bit about it and over the coming weeks and months and help us to understand that, that, that it's not something that we should be ashamed of when we feel those ways. That actually, I spoke about this this morning a little bit, that, you know, we, we affirm that we're body, soul, and spirit. We're a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. Um, but really, that, that body, soul, and spirit is, is, a, is a unity. It's a psychosomatic unity, as in that body and soul affect each other. And you're, the way you physically feel can affect how you spiritually feel, and vice versa. But we'll talk about that just as my ministry on, on, on goes here. But what I want to focus on here is just um, with Elijah. And, and whether you want to call this depression or whether you want to call it he's just having a bad day, what I want to address really is that his thinking's not quite right. His thinking's not quite right. And we're going to have a look and, and see if we can learn from Elijah some of the triggers to lead us to, to think that way, to get into down places where we start to doubt things, we start to uh, get distressed about things, we start to uh, overthink things and start to think the wrong way. Well, I think Elijah can show some of the triggers and also then some of the treatment towards that, how we can minister to our body, soul and spirit to, to bring us to the place where our thinking's right. You know, we, we, we put on the mind of Christ and we operate in the Spirit, but with a healthy body, a healthy soul, and we go on as God will have us to go. So, I want us to read from 1 Kings chapter 19. And again, I am going to address this in maybe a little way that you haven't heard it addressed before and focus in not on the actual events of, of the great victory that's just gone before Elijah, but more about where he's at and how his thinking needs to be corrected. So if we look at verse number 1 of 1 Kings 19, the Word of God says this, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all that he had slain all the prophets with the sword. So this is referring back to Mount Carmel, and you should know that well, I'm sure. Verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose, and he went for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights into Horeb, the mount of God. And there he came hither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. But after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still small voice. And when it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and went out and stood in the entering of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him, and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go return thy way into the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. Let's just pause for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this evening, that you would use me. And Lord, I pray that this time will be profitable, that your word would be opened up, that we would see from the life of Elijah some of the triggers that can affect the way we think and get our thinking a little out of whack and lead us to the place where we feel down, we feel depressed or we feel distressed. And Lord, that's not ever your desire for us. And Lord, we know that there are ways for us to uh, Lord, just keep a check in these things and to identify the triggers so that when we see them happening, Lord, we can fight against them. And Lord, we know that your word is a uh, ministers to our soul. It's a soothing balm. Lord, we want to see in Elijah's life how your word ministered to him and helped correct some of his faulty thinking. So Lord, I pray you would bless this time. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to have a look at Elijah, and, and as I've said, this is a mental health moment with Elijah. You know, we've read through this, and, and, and just uh, to, to paraphrase the whole thing, if you were to put a synopsis on the state of the thinking of Elijah at this point, it's, he's not in a good place. Would that be fair to say? I mean, he's telling the Lord, kill me now. That's not a great place to be. So he's not in a good place. But I want you to see the progression of the, of the triggers uh, that, that have led him to come up and actually say this. And here's the first thing I want you to see. And actually, we're going to turn back to uh, chapter number 18, just back a little bit, and verse number 46. Remember, in the context of the chronology, Elijah has just had his Mount Carmel moment. 
What a great victory for, for God that is. Absolute amazing spiritual high. Then we get to verse 46. And it says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Here's one of the first triggers that I want to identify that can affect the way that you think in your mental health. The first trigger is exhaustion. It's exhaustion. You know, Elijah here is in a fatigued state. He has deposited a tremendous amount of spiritual energy. Remember, body, soul, and spirit all connected. And, you know, as a, as a preacher, I know that more than anybody. When you get up and you preach the Word of God and you pour out your, your heart through the Spirit of the Word of God, it takes a physical toll. And actually, most preachers will tell you that they're, they're most vulnerable on a Monday morning after they've poured themselves out on a Sunday if they're faithful to the Word of God. And what is it? They're tired. Spirit soul and body, all interconnected. And here Elijah, he has his victory, and then what do we find him doing? He's running. He's exhausted himself. He's fatigued himself. He's tired. And, and let me ask you this. How do you feel, generally, mentally, when you're tired? Are you in your best form when you're tired? No. Do you overreact to things when you're tired? Are you grumpy? I don't get grumpy, so I don't know what that's like. But I'm sure there's some of you definitely get grumpy. I, I don't. Is Claire here? No, she's all right. She's not there. But exhaustion is a trigger. It's a trigger. You know, the first thing that, that you should be doing, if you're in a place where you're constantly feeling down and, and you're able to do this, is to exercise your body. I mean, that, that's, that's the... the base starting point that most people will say that to, to improve your mental health, you should be looking after your body. We have to understand if you're able to do this, of course. But that's a key thing. Not letting yourself get exhausted. Not letting yourself get fatigued. That means um, you know, trying to get a proper night's sleep. That means going to bed at the right times. <laughs> Getting up at the right times means looking after yourself. Now that's not the whole thing. But it is part of the thing. And for Elijah, before he ever gets to the bit where he lays down and says, it's enough, kill me now, I want you to understand the man's fatigued. He's exhausted. He's had this spiritual high top where he's given his all. God's had the victory. And then after that, he's exercised himself physically to get to the point where we get to chapter number 19. So the first trigger that we have to keep an eye on is exhaustion. If you are constantly in a state of exhaustion, you are going to influence the way you start to think and react and operate in the world around you. It's just the way it is. So that's the first trigger. Second trigger is, is intimidation. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at verse 2. It says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods uh, do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as, as the life of one of them tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose, and he went for his life. He went for his life. He feels threatened. Now this is the man that has just stood up in chapter number 18 and took on the prophets of Baal. And now he's intimidated. How has he gone from the man on the mountaintop 
to the man now who is intimidated. He's in a state of anxiety. First thing I'll say to you is he's got himself exhausted. And now, because of the exhaustion, something that maybe he would have been in a better place to deal with if he had been in a physically better place, now, because of his exhaustion, because of his fatigue, it's all of a sudden now, this is the, oh, this is the hardest thing in the world. Why? Because his thinking's out of line. And it's been blown up. Like I said, when you're tired, you overreact to things. You know, some things you just, when you're tired and things are happening and going on, it's just like, it's like the end of the world. And then you get a good night's sleep and you wake up and you start to think, it's not, that bad. It's not as bad as it was last night. Why? Because there's been a bit of re-energization. But Elijah, he's exhausted, he's fatigued spiritually, physically, and then he, it leads to this place where he's intimidated. That, that these things that are being said, uh, he feels threatened by them. His thinking's not right. Why is his thinking not right? Because who's the man that stands up in front of, of the prophets of Baal and, and makes that de- great declaration about the one true God? He wasn't being intimidated by anything then. We get here and he, all of a sudden he feels threatened by this. And this threat isn't a visible one. It's not like it was before. Remember Mike Carmel? He's up there and the prophets of Baal are right there. Running about, cutting themselves, doing whatever they're doing. They're right in front of him. It's a, it's a very visible and real threat. But what's this? This is just words that have been passed on. What's changed? His thinking's not right. Because if Elijah at Mount Carmel, at the midst of this, had have heard this, I don't think he would have reacted in the same way. I think if when he's on that Mount Carmel moment, when he's facing the prophets of Baal, if, if somebody had come along and said, oh, by the way, Elijah, uh, you know, Jezebel wants to kill you, he'd be like, who cares? God's with me. That's not the way he's reacting there. Something's changed. What's changed? His way of thinking's changed because he's let himself get exhausted, poured it all out, not giving himself time to refresh, and now he starts to become intimidated. You know, a lot of people start this, this process of, of their thinking going out of whack because of threats they perceive. Not things that are visible in front of them, but just things that they overthink. Jobs, careers, Whatever it may be. You know these things that you worry about like it's a threat but it's not really there but it's in the back of your mind. It can affect your, your thinking. You know for, for me, when, when, I, when I was young, <laughs> when I was a young boy, when I was 18, um, 17, 18, my mother died of cancer. You, you know this. I've told, shared this. But for a long time I was petrified and just thought that there was no point in me planning for the future because I was going to die of cancer. That's just the way it was. I'm still here. And all those years of, of worrying about that, that threat, that, that thing that was just hanging over me, but it wasn't a real thing, it was just a perceived thing, affected my thinking. Affected the way I felt. You know, sometimes somebody's coined this phrase that fears are false evidence appearing real. That we take these things that are, are just thoughts in our minds of what might happen... And, and, and apply it like it has happened. It's faulty thinking. It's faulty thinking. 
Next trigger, look at verse 3. And this is one of the key things that we have to guard ourselves against. Look at verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose, he went for his life, came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Here's the next trigger we have to watch for. Separation. Separation. Because when you start to feel this way, when you're dying, you start to feel, I don't want to be around people. I don't, want, I don't want to come to church. I don't want people to visit me. I want to be alone. That's the way I'm feeling. But we've got to guard against that. Separation is a tactic of the enemy. It's a weapon of the enemy. And actually, when you're feeling that way, the worst thing you can do is separate yourself further from the people that God has put in your life. The best thing you can do, as we talked about this this morning, is come to those people that God has put in your life, that you love and you trust, and you say, you know what, I'm feeling down. I'm feeling low. I'm fatigued. I'm exhausted. I've got anxiety about these things. And you begin to share and speak and you disarm that weapon of separation that the enemy will bring in. But here, Elijah, he goes down this path. You know, he puts the walls up. He goes into isolation. This sounds familiar. Have you ever been there? When you're feeling rubbish, when your thinking's not right, and you just want to switch the world off, and you want to, don't be around anybody, you want to be in your own. It's the worst place you can be. It's the worst place you can be. Here Elijah separates himself from his servant and he goes himself. A further day's journey. Now notice how the overlap happens here. Why is he going out to where he is? Why is he going on his own? Because he still feels threatened. Remember, he's probably still exhausted. So instead of resting... He's still going on and on, and actually probably the fatigue is building. So all these things are building in, in, in his mind. So you've got exhaustion, you've got an intimidation, you've got separation. And then notice verse 4, you've got desperation. Look at what, what he says. But he himself on a day's journey into the wilderness came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father. Here's his enough moment. But notice this is the culmination of all these other little triggers that have come before. And as he's alone, he starts to, you know, get into the pity party. And starts to say, this is too much. And he has nobody there around him. To put their arm around him and, and lift him up and say, Elijah, do you know what? It's all right. Just get a little rest. We're here with you. We pray with you. Why does he have nobody? Because he's separated himself. He's walked away. And now he's got to this place where he says, it's enough. It's enough. I don't know if you've had any of those moments in your life, but it's not a pretty place to be where you're just feeling down, anxious, intimidated, exhausted. And you just say, Lord, it's enough. It's enough. 
But notice what's happened. All the little triggers that have led to Elijah making this statement. And then out of this place of desperation, what do we get next? Then the verse 4, comparison. Here's another weapon of the enemy, comparison. If I could take social media and, 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 and throw it at the gates of hell and leave it there, I'd do it. I would do it. It has its benefits, oh, of course it does. But let me tell you, the, the cons far outweigh the benefits. Because it has set up a world of comparison. Where our children are raised up and they look in this screen at these images of falsehood. People pretending like it's all roses and they're all happy. And the kids look at it and go, that's what I want to be. That's what life is. That's what I have to look like. That's what I have to um, measure up to. And Elijah here at the end of verse 4 says, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. Notice the comparison, for I am not better than my father. Comparing himself to others. And when you're in this place where you're dying, that's what you do. Why don't I have the joy that that person has? Why don't I feel so happy like that person does? Or why doesn't things work out for me like it does for that other person? Why don't I get the good jobs in church like the other person does? Why don't I get this? Or why don't I get that? And why don't I get this? Comparison. Comparison. Here's the question. Here's the question. Who said anything about those men? Did God? No. Elijah is the one that's doing the comparison. Why? Because his state of thinking is in the wrong place. It's in the wrong place. And in this spiral downwards, and this is what this is in, in Elijah's life, at this moment, he's forgetting the grace and goodness of God. He's starting to focus inwardly on himself. Not looking to the Lord. Not looking to how the Lord provided the great victory in Mount Carmel. Not looking to the Lord and how he's faithful in his word. Not looking to the Lord and how he is gracious and how he deals with his children. Not looking to the Lord and realizing actually God wasn't comparing him to his father. It was Elijah that was doing that. Spiraling, spiraling, spiraling. These are some of the triggers. And they may not be as extreme as what we've talked about in Elijah's life, but if you see these things starting to creep in, you've got to deal with them. Because exhaustion is just one step down the, down the line and you're, you're at intimidation. And one step down the line you find yourself uh, in desperation. And all of a sudden you're in a tailspin. You've got to get on top of these things. You've got to get on top of these things. Identify the triggers. But when we identify the triggers, and, and that's what we've looked at, we've also got to then identify the treatment. Can't just leave ourselves hanging. And firstly, we've got to deal with the physical. Look at, look at uh, verse 5 and 6. And, and, and I love this. Look at verse 5 and 6. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking with, on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. So here, the angel comes along and, 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 and touches him, and notice what the angel says. Arise and eat. 
8. Now that angel is there at the command of God. Correct? Yep. The angel's not operating under his own will. He's operating under the will of the Creator God. God has sent that angel there. What's the first thing the angel does? Does he address the spiritual problem? First thing, physical. Physical. He says, you know, eight. Eight. And then notice in verse uh, six, it says, And behold, there was a cake baking on the coals of cruise of water, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. But what do we find in verse 5? What, what is Elijah doing at the start of verse 5? And he lay and slept. He's sleeping. But then the angel raises him up, feeds him, and then lays him down to sleep again. Why? Because Elijah, in the state that he was in, although he looked like he was sleeping, he wasn't getting rest. Because he hadn't looked after himself physically. He's in that place of desperation. And, and here the Lord, by his divine providence, sends an angel, raises him up, feeds him, so his body is fed physically, and then says, get some proper sleep. And, you know, I, I love this. There's no lecture. There's no lecture from the angel to Elijah to say, what are you doing, you idiot? Do you not know the word of God? Do you not know that God's sovereign? You're a prophet. None of that. The angel comes, ministers to the physical need of Elijah. Before we ever get to deal with that. And there's an important lesson here. Within church context. Because sometimes people can take the sword of the word of God and jump in whenever a Christian is dying, when they're not in a good place, and take the sword of the Lord and smash it over the head of the one that lies in that state. And God Almighty doesn't prescribe that. He sends the angel to come alongside to minister physically. Not to say, what have you done, Elijah? but to feed him, to make him get some rest. And God's going to go on and he's going to deal with the spiritual side of it. But I think as believers, sometimes we're too heavy with the sword and not caring enough with compassion. You know, for believers, when they're in that place, they know where they are. They know things aren't right. They know their thinking isn't right. They know that God's sovereign. They know that God is the creator. God has saved them. Sometimes they just need somebody to come alongside and say, do you know what? Your body needs a little TLC. You need a little love and compassion. Doesn't mean that there's not a place for the spiritual, for the word of God to speak in the situations, there absolutely is. What I'm saying is it's contextual. And in this context, I see Elijah, the prophet of God, who's ministered to by an angel of God, that doesn't even deal with the ridiculous stuff that Elijah's just said. He ministers to him in compassion. So the treatment, first of all, is physical. There's, there's a body aspect to it. 
Secondly, then, there's the mental aspect or the soul aspect. If you look at verses 7 and 8, the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him, said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights into Horeb, the mount of God. So here, this is really speaking into Elijah's thought process and really correcting the thinking. Um, you know, Elijah's thinking's become warped. All of a sudden, he starts to think that the work is his, that the burden on the work is his. And so he says, it's enough now. I take away my life. I'm not better than my father's. You know, he's in that place where he feels like he has to carry this. And we're going to see this come out in Elijah's speaking where he says, you know, I'm alone here. I'm carrying this all on my shoulder. But that's not the right thinking. And, and, and the, the words that we want to focus on there is, is when the angel says, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. That's the correct thinking. The journey is too great for thee, not because uh, of, of any aspect of Elijah's abilities or talents, but the journey is too great for him because it's not his journey. It's God that's in control. And that's the thinking and that's the thought. And Elijah goes in the strength of that meat. And we need to go in the strength of that meat too. To realize that the work that's in front of us is too much for us. But that's not a burden to know that. It's a blessing. Because when we realize that it's God's work, and he's the sustainer, and he's the provider. And actually it was God that was working in Mount Carmel. And although Elijah, Elijah had the privilege to be used of God in that, it was all of God. And sometimes we have to get our thinking corrected to understand that we don't carry this. We don't carry this. That the journey is too great for us. But that's not a, a, a constraining thing. That's a liberating thing. To acknowledge that and to know that, that it's too great for us. But it's not too good for him. That's the key. So it's, it's, it's about changing Elijah's thinking. His thinking's been, been uh, warped. And then there's the, the spiritual aspect. And look at verse 9. And then he came into the cave and lost there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And this is where we get our spiritual uh, 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 rejuvenation, where we get our spiritual life in check is the word of God. It's the word of the Lord. This is, you know, this is the point of the matter when it comes to Christians and, and, and church life, is that when you're feeling down, you want to separate yourself from church. But church is the place where God is going to speak to you through his word and through his people. And the word of the Lord comes and ministers spiritually. And we need that. It's essential. It's essential. Body, soul, and spirit, we need to be ministered to. But it's essential that we have the word of the Lord in our lives. What God comes and does really is, is again, corrects this faulty thinking and he replaces lies with truth. And that's what the Word of God will do. It will replace the lies that you have uh, taken in or, or built up in your mind about certain things or certain situations, and it will bring truth into that situation. Let me show you. Look at verse uh, 10. 
So the Lord, word of the Lord comes to Elijah, says, what, what are you doing here, Elijah? And this is what Elijah said. Verse 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. So here, here Elijah verbalizes how he's feeling. And I, I, want, I want to ask the question, is there anything untrue about what he said there? In those opening verses. There's not one word of untruth there. He has been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel had forsaken the covenant. They had thrown down the altars. And slain the prophets of God with the sword. All true. True, true, true. And then Elijah says this. And I, even I, only am left. True or false? False. Elijah thought it was true in the way that he's feeling. But God, look at verse 18. God comes in and corrects that thinking and replaces lies with truth. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of which not bow unto Baal and every mouth which has not kissed him. Was Elijah alone? No. Did he think he was alone? Yes. But the word of God had to come in and minister to Elijah and say, the lies you've believed, the things you feel are not the truth. Here's the truth as I reveal it to you. And that's the, 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 the ministering that we have to allow God to do in our lives when we start to believe the lies that we're alone, that nobody cares. That I can't go and, and speak to anybody about the way I feel. I'm going to be judged. Or I'm going to be this. Or I, I'm not a good Christian because I'm feeling down. We've got to replace those lies with truth. We get the truth from the word of God. And we know that we're not alone. We know that the body of Christ is there to build up the believers. That's all the let us, let us gather together. We are a body. We function together as a body. And when you separate yourself from that body, you open yourselves up to feeling the way that Elijah did. And you start to believe the things that you think. And you start to believe that you're alone. You start to believe that nobody Nobody cares and nobody understands. But God's word says, get back to the body. Because you're not alone. You're not alone. Spiritual ministering to Elijah to correct some of his thinking. And God said, you're not alone. You're not alone. So, some of the triggers. Exhaustion. Intimidation, separation, desperation, comparison. You start seeing some of these things appear in your life, you've got to fight back. I don't want to go to church and be around people. You pray to God and say, God, give me the strength to be around the people of God. Because that's what I need. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. You identify the triggers and then you identify the treatment, body, soul, and spirit. Look after yourself physically. Correct your thinking if it's wrong. 
Allow the Word of God to do its work in you and minister to you. And when your feelings tell you one thing, you go to the Word of God and see what He says and you accept that as the authority and final thought on that matter. And you learn to correct your thinking. Identify the triggers, recognize the treatment, and understand that as believers, we can all have our Elijah moments. We're all capable of this. And sometimes it creeps up on you when you least expect it. So what are we to do? Identify the triggers. Identify the treatment. Get around the people of God and the Word of God and allow the body to put its hands around you and say, you're not alone. We're with you. And the Lord is here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.